Take your Bibles and turn back to that Acts 20 passage. If you're a member of Faith Baptist Church, right after the service, we have a brief presentation and vote. So if you just stick around a few extra minutes, we'd appreciate that if you're a member. Acts chapter 20. I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics. I enjoy watching the Olympics. And it's really crazy some of the things that are able to do. If you've watched the skiing part, or especially the snowboarding, if you've seen the half pipe thing, that is like, number one, I'm not sure that you have to, a lot of sanity to be able to do that. But it's crazy how high they get and the flips they can do. And some of the, it's just amazing talent. I, I have to admit, though, as much as I enjoy the Winter Olympics, I kind of like the summer one a little bit better. I've, I've watched Sean White and Michaela Schifrin, which I'm sure is disappointing as she, much as she thinks it is. But, but in the Summer Olympics, as I look back, I, I think my favorite was when I watched Michael Phelps in the swimming. I'm not usually a swim thing guy, but um, he made it exciting. I mean, in his career, 23 gold, three, three silver, and two bronze. I mean, everybody knows Michael Phelps, but hardly anybody knows Jason Lezak. Have you ever heard of his name? He was the anchor. He swam the anchor leg of the 4x100 freestyle race, which has now gone down in history. Um, it was crucial to win that for Michael Phelps. Mark Spitz, in my generation, had won seven gold medals in one Olympics. And for Michael Phelps to eclipse that record and get eight, they had to win this relay. But they were not supposed to win this relay because they were swimming against France and France was the heavy, dominant, favored one. They were supposed to win easily. In fact, they got so cocky, they said all week leading up to the race that they were going to smash the Americans. And that's exactly what everybody thought, and I hate to say it, even the Americans thought that. And so when Jason Lezak dove into the water on the last leg, everybody said, well, this is what's supposed to happen because he was so far behind that they thought it was impossible for him to win. In fact, I read an article in ESPN from that time by a, a writer named Pat Ford. And in the article, which wasn't that long, three times in the article, here's what he says. No way. No way could he have won. And he said, no way. He says, no way three times. Because Lee Zach was so far out there, nobody thought that he could pull it off. Um, he was swimming in his leg against Bernard of France, which was one of the best, if not the best swimmer, freestyle in the world at the time. And even Lezak, when he was interviewed after the race was over, said that when, before he dove in, he didn't think that he could do it. And then he said this, but I shoved aside despair with fresh determination. And that's when Pat Ford in his article says this, his no way turned into no quit. Here's what Lezak said, I changed. Before I jumped in the water, I thought, this is ridiculous. It'll never happen. But then I changed my mind. He says, you know, I'm at the Olympics. I have, I'm here for the United States. And I don't care how much it hurts. I'm going to go after it. And that is exactly what he did. The article by Pat Ford goes on to say, here's how he won. It started off by gaining only inches. And then with 10 meters to go in the race... He moved, according to the commentators, from, from absolutely impossible to possible range. 
Five meters to go, it was suddenly possible and gaining. And then a photo finish at the end, he had won the gold medal by eight one-hundredths of a second. He had, he had raced the fastest leg in all of Olympic history at 46.6 seconds. See, he turned no way into no quit. You're here this morning, and perhaps you're facing some no way situations of your own. You might be looking around as Lezak did on that day, and you look at what's going to happen and what's taking place, and you say, no way. There's no way, Pastor Walker, I'm going to be able to go to this job one more day. If you knew how they treated me, if you knew how my boss was, if you knew how hard it was, there's no way. I, I'm, there's no way I'm going to do that. There's no way, Pastor Walker, I, I'm trying to be committed to Jesus, but there's no way that this marriage is ever going to last. There's no way I'm ever going to pay these bills. I, I, I'm trying to live for God, and I'm praying that he'll... You, but you know what? If my debt, there's no way I'm going to pay that off. And for some, you say, no way I can lose that amount of weight. There's no way that I can deal with this chronic pain. There's no way that day in and day out, I'm going to fight off the anxiety and depression that is constantly sweeping over me. See, you're here this morning, perhaps, and you need to face your no way with a no quit. See, that's how total commitment responds. It's how it responds. So this morning, I'm going to ask you to let God in his word give you, as, it, you know, as Lezak got on that day, a fresh dose of determination. Let God's word help you fight against the no way situations that you're facing in your life that could or are eroding slowly but surely, your total commitment to Jesus and your conformity to him. So let me say it to you straight so you know where I'm going this morning. Total commitment, which we have defined as total conformity to Jesus, will respond to no way situations with no quit. And we're going to see how you can do that because you might be already saying, Pastor Walker, I mean, that's really nice in theory, but you don't know what I'm going through. I want to show you from what the Apostle Paul is going through to show you how he faced his no-way scenarios with no quit. So let's turn to our passage if you're not already there. Chapter 20 and verse 19, it reads, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Three nouns. Can you see them? Tears. They're all plural. Tests happenings all of that listen while the verse says this in verse 20 verse 19 serving the lord it's actually the greek word for slave and we could translate it this way slaving the lord see paul is conformed to jesus who was a slave as well and so and so paul's being like his master and all those words tears humility trials are all words that describe jesus during his ministry so here's paul like some of you this morning He's in the midst of really serving God, being totally committed to him, humbling himself. See, he's trying to do all the things that God wants him to do, to be like Jesus. But in the midst of all of that, perhaps like you're facing this morning, there's a lot of opposition. And what we learn first from Paul is this, is that when you are totally committed to Jesus, it will never, listen, it will never be easy. It's going to be a struggle. There's always going to be opposition. And over time, be careful, because the struggles you face in totally commit, being totally committed to Jesus, listen, 
it'll begin to take its toll on you. See, tears, trials, happenings, it begins to take his toll on Paul emotionally. I mean, he is shedding tears. He loves people and he's serving them and things don't always go the way. You see, he's got his own people. The Jews are plotting against him. Emotionally, it's taking a toll. Spiritually, it's taking a toll. Physically, it's taking a toll on him. Have you ever felt that way? Do you feel that way this morning? Do you feel like, hey, I'm trying to love God, I'm trying to be committed to him, but there's just mounting pressures, mounting pressures. See, it's at work I have pressures, at home I have pressure, my kids, my marriage, my health, my finances. I mean, it's so much. See, and here's the temptation. Do you see what he says? And he makes it clear by stating what he didn't do. He says, in the midst of all of that mounting pressure, here's what I didn't do. Look at verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you everything you needed to hear, he says. I kept telling you the gospel. See, I didn't shrink from it. The word shrink means to avoid. It means you were standing here, but you drew back. It's used of Peter in Galatians 2.12 to describe that when he was eating with Gentiles, and he knew that's what God wanted him to do, but when they came to see him in person, the Judaizers, he stepped back from it. He didn't do it anymore. You know why? The Bible says because he was afraid. See, when you shrink back, it's what you do when you have your emotions control you. See, you start avoiding no-way situations. You don't want to have that in your life because they may cost you too much. See, so you shrink back, you avoid them. It's possible this morning that you're facing your no-way scenarios and they are starting to get the best of you and it's starting to erode your total commitment. And here's how you know if that's true. You start to shrink back a little bit. You start to avoid. See, you know what? There's so much going on. You know, I, maybe I can't come to service tonight. Maybe I can't do, you know what? And I don't read my Bible as much as, I, you know what? And, you know, I, li- I, I need some help. So you know what? I deserve this. And so I let myself do some things I normally wouldn't do. And I start to shrink back from it. I start withdrawing a little bit. I start having a little less commitment to Jesus and more commitment to myself. See, Paul says, I didn't do that. I didn't shrink back. I never changed, never changed doing all that Jesus wanted me to do. See, let me give you an example. Pandemic, the COVID-19. I think some people's commitment has shrunk over that time. I find it a little incredulous, honestly, because we have let our emotions rule us, at least some of us, and we have ability, even in our masks, to go to sporting events and out to eat at restaurants and to our jobs around other people, but we don't come to church. See, I I think we begin to think that we can shrink back from that, and we find it easier to stay home or to watch it over the internet for some God's people. See, and we shrink back. Sometimes, see, because of COVID or maybe because of other things in our lives that are taking place, we begin to shrink back. And we know that we should talk to people about the gospel at our job. We know that we should do that or, or maybe at our school that we attend. But you know what? We're, we begin to fear controlled by emotions, what people might think of us or what it might cost us or what it might happen to us if we give them the gospel and we shrink back. We avoid that situation and we, know, we see it as a no-win situation so we, we don't do it. And we shrink back and we lessen our commitment and the reason is is because we think the cost might be too great for us. 
Do you remember the movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Do you remember that? Well, maybe they should have a sequel. Jesus, I Shrunk My Commitment. I've lessened it. It's made smaller in my life. And I've let the pressures and the emotions I feel take over. So you might say, Pastor Walker, listen, okay. I admit maybe to some degree my commitment to the Lord, maybe to church and ministry or whatever it might be, evangelism has shrunk a little bit. How do I unshrink it? How do I unshrink my commitment? Well, let me tell you, you have to learn how to meet your no way with God's no quit. How do you do that? Let me show you because Paul lets us see it in the text. I'm going to call it the commitment sandwich just so that maybe you can remember it this morning. And there's two little, there's a little bracket. Let me show it to you. Verses 22 and 25 start with the same exact wording. You see it? And now behold. Every time the Bible uses behold is an attention grabber. God wants to kind of like almost like shake you a little bit and say, hey, hey, don't miss this. Get this. So he's going to bracket it, 22 and 25, and now behold, and in between is our main verse, verse 24. That's going to be the meat of the sandwich. But on the outside is the situation and circumstances that we often find ourselves in as we face no-waste scenarios. So let me unpack it for you, right? I'm going to do that by starting with this principle. If you're writing things down today, please do this. The principle Paul had to learn is this. I am not in control of people and circumstances but I am in control of my response to people and circumstances. Let me say it again. I'm not in control of people and circumstances, but I am in control of my response to people and circumstances. In other words, I can't be, listen, I can't be totally committed to controlling everyone and everything in my life and still be totally committed to Jesus. Do you see those two things? They are oxymoron. They they don't go together. You cannot control people and have God control you at the same time. Let me show you what Paul says about that. And how, look at his life. Verse 20. I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Holy Spirit. Paul earlier cross referenced this with chapter 19 and verse 21. He said, Paul was resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. That was the chapter before. And now it's coming to the time where he's actually going to go there. But the problem is... If he goes there, there's going to be problems. I mean, major problems. No way situations, right? So in verse 22 of our text, it says he was constrained by the Holy Spirit to go there. And the word constrained means literally to be bound with chains. Now, when he actually does get there, that's exactly what happens to him. In fact, we're going to look at it a little bit in a minute. Chapter 21 and verse 11 says that Agabus comes and prophesies to him when he's in Caesarea that the man who wears these clothes or this belt is going to be chained when he gets there. So here's what Paul says. I know that when I choose to go to Jerusalem, they are going to chain me up. I'm going to be in prison. But I'm still going there. I'm still committed to it. You know why? Because I've got a different chain. I've got one on the inside. Can I tell you this? Listen. If you're going to face chains on the outside, you first have to be chained to God on the inside. You have to be controlled by the Spirit on the inside in order not to be controlled by people and circumstances on the outside. See, Paul is not, listen, to be committed to go to Jerusalem and to suffer like that. Paul is not saying, well, let me use a psychological technique in order to overcome my fear and emotions of going there and what might cost me. 
That's not what he's doing. He's not downplaying either or minimalizing what will happen to him. He knows this. I know that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He knows what commitment will cost him. See, here's what he is telling us. Total commitment to Jesus on the outside is not possible unless there is total control of the Spirit on the inside. You know why we shy away from no-way circumstances? Because there's something going wrong on the inside. See, read Paul throughout Acts, and you'll know this. He was controlled by the Spirit of God. If you survey Paul and Holy Spirit, you'll find this, that when he got saved, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When he was commissioned, he was sent by the Holy Spirit. And every place he went, geographically, and everywhere he went, it was always being directed by the Holy Spirit. Don't go here, do go there. Because, listen, every part of Paul's life was about the Spirit of God. I say all that to say this. Listen, too many of us as God's people, we want Paul's outer life, meaning we want God to use us, we want God to help us win people to Christ, we want help him to be committed. We want all the things that Paul did and Paul was. We want all of that. We want Paul's outer life without having Paul's inner life. See, we admire people who are chained for Christ and the imprisonments and the afflictions, and we read their stories, we read their biographies, we read the voice of the martyrs, we look at their suffering, we look at their sacrifice, and we go, oh, oh, I want to be committed like that, and if I had to go through that, I want to be able to have that kind of commitment. See, we want... We want the results on the outside without having the requirements on the inside. And so the first bracket is this, in verse 22. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. How do you know, Pastor Walker, if you're controlled by the Spirit of God on the inside? Ready? If you can face uncertainty. It says, not knowing, which is emphatic in the original language, And it's the point, here's what he doesn't know. He doesn't know what all is going to happen to him. He knows that minimally imprisonment and affliction, but he doesn't know how it's going to come out. See, he can't control people. He can't control circumstances. Listen, and he can't control the outcomes. Does that blow your mind? Can you live like that? See, He didn't know. I have had so many Christians over time tell me, Pastor, listen, I would be committed to Jesus way more if I knew it just wouldn't be this in my life. And they tell me, see, I don't know. See, if I I get committed to Jesus like that, I don't know how that's going to affect my job. See, if, I be, if I'm really totally committed to Jesus, you know what? I don't know what that's going to do to my finances. If I have to start giving to him and I have to start ministering and using my time, say, I don't know how that's going to wreck my calendar. And then they start telling me about the things that matter most. And, you know, Pastor, I love this in my life and I love doing this. And if I really make Jesus everything in the center of my life, see, that'll change all of this. See, Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I know it's going to cost me but I don't know how much. It's going to change my life. And I don't know, listen, and I'm okay with that. If you're going to decide to be totally committed to Christ, TLC, total life commitment, 
See, you're going to have to say, Father, I embrace the uncertainty. I don't know where this will lead me. I don't know what will happen to me. I don't know where this is going to take me, and I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I trust you. I believe in you. See, the first bracket is, how do you deal with uncertainty? Second one is on the other hand. Verse 25 says in our sandwich, one piece of bread, verse 22, the other one's verse 25. And now behold, second time, I know this. Here's what I don't know, first one. Here's what I do know. And can I tell you this? They're both very hard. Number two, he says, I know this. None of you will see my face again. Today we'd say, I'm never going to see you. This is it. This is the last goodbye. Can I tell you? And you would probably guess that is incredibly hard, isn't it? I mean, isn't it one thing to give up for Jesus things? If I had to give up this kind of lifestyle, having this kind of car, living here, doing this, enjoying that. But it's one thing, isn't it, to give up things, but it's another thing to give up people. See, Paul was their spiritual father. He spent three years there, according to 2031. He had built relationships. They were close. They had relationships going. He had spent more time there than anywhere else. He had done miraculous things there through the Spirit of God. They had started a church there. Exorcisms were done. People who were involved in magic had been freed from that and set free through salvation. There was even a riot there. And he stood up against the whole town in the Temple of Diana and all of its worshipers. Jews and Gentiles had come together and found unity there. I mean, things, amazing things had happened there. They were very, very close to one another. And he says to them, see what total life commitment is? I know this. I'm never going to see you again in this life. They were called one-way missionaries. You know what one-way missionaries were? People who bought no return tickets. More than that, though. When they left on the boat with no return ticket, they packed all their belongings in coffins. You know why? Because in choosing to leave and go, they knew they would never come back alive. They would never see anyone else in their family again. Bill Borden, whose family was rich, and he could have been a millionaire from the time he was 21 on, gave all that up and eventually went to be a missionary. And he got to where he was going and died within just a very short period of time. But in his journal that they found after he died at the age of 31, he wrote three things. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Bill Borden left millions of dollars, but here's what is more. He left his family. He never saw them again in order to take the gospel to another part of the world, and he left them all behind. Jesus puts it this way in Luke's gospel, chapter 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, cannot be my disciple Hate is another way of saying love less. He doesn't really want you to hate your family, but he wants you to put them in their place. And that is behind him. You look at the passage, you cannot come to any other conclusion that Paul loved these people and they loved him back. I mean, look at verses 37 and 38 of chapter 20. 
when he's getting on the boat to leave before he's going to leave them for the last time, here's what it says. They prayed with each other. They cried with each other, which means uncontrollable sobs. They hugged each other. And then again, here's the little phrase. Verse 25 has it. Verse 38 has it. They will see his face no more. That brackets that whole section. Because why? They were sorrowing most of all. Most of all, the number one thing hit him was they weren't going to be with him anymore. They would never see him anymore in this life. See, it was a test for Paul. See, God brought these people together, and they're very, very emotional. And here's the thing. Will he be committed to Jesus, or will his emotions rule him? As hard as it was, and as good as it was to love those people, he had to choose to love Jesus more. That is total life commitment in a nutshell, is making choices about who and what matters supremely in the affections of your heart. But see, God says, before you go to Jerusalem, it's just not one test, it's two. If you look at chapter 21, please turn there. Chapter 21, verses 8 through 14, a little ways later, he makes some tra- on his way to Jerusalem, he stops in Caesarea at Philip's house, the early Philip in the early church, and they hear about where he's planning to go, and they know what's going to happen to him. And so here's what they do. And these are good friends of him, and they have good intentions. In fact, it says the Spirit directed them. It's a test. It says in verse 12 of chapter 21, they urged him not to go to Jerusalem. They urged him, and it words plead. They were literally begging him, Paul, don't go. Don't go. It gets very emotional. Verse 13, it says, listen, this is a hard thing to say. Imagine someone you love greatly asked, saying this to you. What are you doing? What are you doing? Weeping, and so they're talking to him. They're crying. They're begging him with tears flowing down. Don't go. And he says to them, what do you mean by weeping and literally breaking my heart, and the word means to have something like a pot or anything else broken in pieces. He says, when you're crying and you're begging me, you're killing me. You're breaking my heart in pieces. It wasn't that he was some sort of stoic and unemotional, unmoved by anyone who cared or loved him. He wasn't some Jedi who, you know, who said, I don't have any attachments and relationships in this life. No, Paul is, they're breaking his heart. He cried on the shore. He prayed on the shore. See, he's a man who's moved. See, he has emotions, but they don't control him. They don't control him. Jesus controls him. See, he's shattered on the inside, but he doesn't shrink on the outside. Do you see that? That's commitment. That's what Paul is talking about. His commitment to Jesus, key word, surpasses his commitment to anyone or anything else. You should be committed to your marriage. You should be committed to your children. You should be committed to things in your life that matter, but none of them should be equal to or rival in any way, shape, or form your commitment to Jesus. See, for some of us today, if you claim to be Christ, it could be that you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend. You see, in order to be totally committed, you'd have to give that up. It may require for you that you sever friendships 
I've talked to so many people who get saved, and they have to completely divide away from people who were such a negative influence in them from their past. See, you might have to get rid of those relationships for at least a while. See, parents, if you're going to be committed to Jesus to that extent, and your family is, you're going to have to have your teenagers break off their boyfriend or girlfriend or any of their, some of their friends and do the same thing that God requires of you. How did Paul do that, Pastor Walker? Sounds like so much. Sounds like a heart-wrenching impossibility. How would I do it? Remember, Lezak? It started with inches. Inches that moved or upgraded to impossible and upgraded then to highly unlikely and highly unlikely went into improbable and improbable to suddenly possible. See, that's what happens when no way meets no quit. In the meat of the sandwich... See, the two pieces of bread, uncertainty and certainty, and they're both very hard. So how do you face both of those things and stay committed to Jesus? Well, that's what verse 24 is about. And that's why it starts with the contrasting word, ayah, but. It's a strong, see, see, here's what he says. I know what I, here, here's what I don't know. Here's what I do know about commitment to Jesus. And let me, you know, you know how I stay committed totally to him? But. In contrast to this, in contrast to this, this is who I am, see. Paul's total commitment to Jesus is not determined by circumstances or situations or people. It is based on and grounded in a radically value, a different value system that anyone else around him has, and that is Jesus as supreme. And so he says it to us like this. I don't count my life as precious to myself. New Living Translation says, my life is worth nothing to me unless it's used for finishing the ministry Jesus gave me. The NIV says, this is my only aim. The CSB says, there's no value in my life unless I fulfill the purpose God has for it. You see the different translations, but here's what they all have in common. That Paul's life had lesser value to himself that it did to Jesus. And that's why he describes it as precious. My life, I count it, I evaluate my life, and here's the preciousness of it. Here's the value of it. You know why my life has significance? It's not my talents, it's not my ability, it's my commitment to Jesus that makes me who I am. See, he says, my life is precious. The word is honor. It is value, it's significance, it's the weight. Here's why my life has meaning, he says, because Jesus is the supreme value in it, which means this. Everyone and everything else in their life got value from their relationship to the value of Jesus. In other words, Jesus as the supreme value had its own origin in who he is as God, Everyone else's value in his life is derivative. You know what that means? They have value only in relationship to Jesus. You see what he's saying? So we would say it this way. I value my job because it gives me the finances and resources to do what Jesus wants me to do. You know my friends and family, I love them dearly and, they, and love them so much. But here's what, I love them in relationship to how I love Jesus. 
my freedom not being in prison, my life not being beheaded. See, my life and my freedom has value. Why? In relationship to how I can be service, serving Jesus and the gospel. It's that radical value system that places everything and everyone under the value that he has for Jesus that makes Paul's commitment what we adore and want to emulate. So how did Paul stay totally committed to Jesus? Listen, how did he do it in the face of no-way scenarios? He says to us, my life has value in this way. If only I may finish my course. And that's why I used the Olympic analogy at the beginning. You know why? The word course is the word dramas. It means race. It referred to an athletic contest. There's numerous times that Paul uses it in his other writings. But here's what he's saying. See, I'm in a race. I'm in a race. And here's my goal. I'm going to stay totally committed to Jesus until I cross the finish line. And you know how I do it? He has to be. He has to be supreme in the affections of my heart. And the temptation for him, as it is for all of us, is to let, not let, things around us, pressures and trials and tears and difficulties, deter us or erode our commitment to him. And so the very last letter of Paul's life, some of the very last words he ever penned are these. He says, I have run the race. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown which is righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And here's where you and I come in. But not to me only, but to all them also who love his appearing. You see what Paul says? I'm going to finish this race. I'm going to stay totally committed. I'm going to live a life of unparalleled life that has Jesus at the center of everything. Everyone and everything will be measured by him and the value I have for him. So this morning, I encourage you, keep on witnessing. Keep on loving people. Keep on serving this church. Keep on praying for lost souls. Keep on worshiping Jesus. Keep on living like Jesus. Because perhaps you're here and you're ready to give up. You're going to throw in the white, see, you're going to wave the white flag, throw in the towel. But you're facing no way situations. But you can face them the no way and say no quit. You know why? Because Paul says, see, look at my life. You can finish this. More. You know why Paul could finish? Because Jesus finished. Can I tell you this? There's no one in all of history who had more difficult, no-way circumstances and people than Jesus. But yet his last words in this life, as he hung on the cross for your sins and mine in John 19.30 is this, it is finished. It's finished. He stayed faithful and committed totally to his Father, and he finished. He has the power. His cross is the power to meet no-way scenarios with no quit. See, Paul did it. More importantly, Jesus did it. And if you know him and you have this cross has changed your life, that can be you as well. The question is, is it? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would there be some this morning who would say, 
Pastor Walker, listen, there are some really difficult, no way situations I'm facing today. And I'm not going to lie, it, hasn't, it, it has crossed my mind that quitting might be a better option. I don't know if I can keep doing this. Can I tell you this? Through the cross of Jesus and the power it gives, you can. You can meet no way with no quit, no matter what your no way scenario is. But you have to have a radical value system. Jesus has to be supreme in the affections of your heart. And you'd be here this morning and the Spirit of God through the Word of God is moving in your heart to say, I need that. I need to make Jesus the center. I need to make him everything in my life so that no matter what the no way situation is, I can face it with no quit because I'm conformed to him and that's what he did Please, Pastor Walker, pray for me that I would understand more of what that means and how to live it out for his glory. With no one looking, would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you as I close. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Many hands. Balcony as well, anyone else? Thank you. Father, you know in the lives of those who raise their hand, there are no way scenarios. You know it. And you more than know it, you feel it, you understand it, because Jesus, God's son, faced them. He didn't just face them, he finished them. Oh, because he loved you supremely, Father, like no one ever else has. I pray that they would be so conformed to him with his love and the power of his cross might enable them each and every day to stay committed to you, and face their no ways with no quit that others might see you in them and will praise you and thank you for it. In his name, Jesus, we pray, amen.